foundational, so important, that when it was all done, he looked at them and he said these words. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, kind of underline that in your, in your sermon outline notes there, okay, puts them into practice, okay, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. And we've been preaching our way through this short sermon. About 26 sermons are going to be based on this one short sermon. And a few months ago, we started in a series that's called Seven and a Half Minutes to a Rock Solid Life. Now, why is it called Seven and a Half Minutes to a Rock Solid Life? Tell me. Mount in seven and a half minutes, right? But, but to be rock solid, you have to put it into... I don't have that this time. This is the first sermon. That I didn't put that phrase up there for you just to find out how you did, okay? Just to see what you did with it. It was, it was you get to see. How's that? Anyway, the reason we call it this is you can read the Sermon on the Mount. Actually, you can read a lot faster. But if you just want to take your time, about seven and a half minutes, go through the whole Sermon on the Mount. But if you put it into practice, this is how you learn to be rock solid in your life. All right? Now, let me, let's kind of bring you up to speed real quickly. In chapter 5, just a summary of chapter 5, ready? Here's what he said. The last shall be first. That's what the Beatitudes are all about. He's talking to the people who are the losers of society, and he says, you're really not. You're the winners. The people you think are winners, they're the losers. The last shall be first. Then he says to them, by the way, Christians, Christ followers, those people who follow Jesus Christ, are extraordinary. Because what he really said is, if you're just like everybody else, what? What good are you? If the salt has lost its saltiness, you throw it out. Christians are extraordinary people. They are not ordinary. They do not lead ordinary lives. They are different. And we call that that difference righteousness. And righteousness is more than rules. So this is what he said to them in chapter 5. The last shall be first. Christians are extraordinary. And righteousness is more than rules. Now we're into chapter 6. And chapter 6, we started last week, but it's built around three words, okay? Three words. And here are the three words. Ready? Motive, priorities, trust. Motive, priorities. You're going to see those three ideas throughout the entirety of chapter 6. We looked at motive last week. You're going to see it time and time again. Remember the last talk we talked about motive and why do you serve God and is it to please God, to please Why do you serve him? But he's also going to touch on the idea of priorities and trust all through this chapter. Okay? You ready? Today, the importance of prayer. Jesus is going to spend, and we'll spend the next few weeks, really looking at Jesus' teaching on prayer. You will see these three ideas in what he teaches. Motive, priorities, and trust. Okay? So far, so good? Let's move on to a, for the scripture for the day. Jesus looked at them and said, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room. Close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. 
Why do we pray? You get to answer. Why do we pray to thank God? Don't you think he knows if you're thankful or not? Why do you pray to talk with him? What are you going to say to him that he doesn't already know? To build, Carson? To express. To express our, okay, it's good. You know, this has actually been a, an interesting question throughout the millennia that uh, Christianity's been around. There's even a book out there by Watchman Nee, small book I recommended to you. It's called um, Why Pray? And it starts with um, um, two or three pages on blowing prayer right out of the water, why it's a ridiculous thing to do. And then he builds on the rest of the book on why we pray. Great book on prayer. Doesn't take long to read it. Watchman Nee. I'm sure you'll be able to find it in a bookstore or order it online. Let's start here. Can we start? Because today's whole thing is a little different. I just want to give you a teaching on prayer as we get ready for the Selah time where we're going to expand our prayer time from now on. Okay? Let's look at the wrong reasons to pray. Here are the wrong reasons to pray. Are there wrong reasons to pray? Absolutely. First one is this, to impress people. Okay? If you're praying to impress the people around you at how good you are at praying, don't pray. It's, it's a useless thing. It's worthless. And yet, I've, I've known people like that. I mean, when they pray publicly, they pray for these incredibly long prayers. And I remember, because it used to be in, in a church service, the pastor always had a pastoral prayer. And, uh, and I was impressed when I first was going to a church until I found out he, my pastor wrote it out that week before. So he decided he was going to pray, and he was reading from his, his prayer. Now, it's not bad, I guess, but somehow we thought it was a wonderful thing if the pastor prayed this long, flowing, eloquent prayer. And I can't for the life of me now understand why that was important. As if a long, eloquent prayer is somehow more effective more spiritual. Huh. Sometimes I'm afraid that, that people pray just to show off. That's what was happening in Jesus' time, by the way. So the hypocrites stood on the street corners and in the synagogues. They'd stand up and they'd pray long, wonderful prayers. Basically, so everybody around them would go, wow, that guy's really spiritual. If that's why you're doing it, don't do it. It's a worthless prayer. There's another reason to not pray or a wrong reason to pray. That's to impress God. He's not impressed. Okay? God is not impressed. It doesn't matter what you say. You can be eloquent. You can, that's what the pagans were doing. They were babbling, you know, tons and tons of words, thinking that God would be impressed because they could pray long. God is not impressed by your prayers. Okay? He's God. He created the world. He spoke the world into it. It takes a little bit more than your prayers to impress the Almighty. His standards are a little higher. Don't try to impress him because you can pray for long and say lots and lots. How about this for a wrong reason? To tell him things he needs to know. <laughs> and yet, I've known people that did that. Particularly when they say, uh, well, um, you know, we have that anonymous prayer request. And we we'll pray for some person who's struggling. And someone will come and say, well, could you give me their name? Because uh, I'll be able to pray for them better if I know their name. You think God doesn't know their name? You just want to know their name, don't you? Or do you believe that God will be completely clueless about what you're talking about unless you tell him the name? God knows. 
You're not going to say a thing in your prayer that he doesn't already know. Not only does God know what you need, he knows what you're going to say before you say it. You don't pray to tell him things like that. How about this? The ultimate wrong reason to pray, to use God to get our way. We pray so that we can somehow impress, convince, or even force, almost like we put his arm behind his back through our prayers and say, you know, God, do my will. There's actually an element of witchcraft in that. Did you know that? My daughter-in-law, many of you know Jennifer, you remember Jennifer, um, was a witch. There's not too many guys that can look at their wives and say, you witch. But Jason was able to do that for a little while. Because when they met, she was a witch. She was a full follower of Wicca. And the whole idea behind Wicca is to be able to use spells and incantations and certain herbs to um, compel the, the spiritual forces of the world to do what you want them to do. It was an ability to control the spiritual forces through spells, incantations, that sort of thing. And then they would do what you wanted them to do. I think a lot of us pray that way. We use prayer almost like a spell. Where we're trying to take the spiritual forces, this time we call him God, and bend him to what we want. What's the difference? It was very easy to lead Jennifer to the Lord because what I was able to say to her, she already believed in the spiritual forces. There was no problem with that. She also knew that those spiritual forces could be influenced and that you could speak to those spiritual forces. What I said to her was, you you just have it backwards, kiddo. The spiritual forces aren't here for you to use to get your will. You are here for the spiritual force, God, to do his will. Stop trying to tell him what to do. Start asking, Father, what should I do? And then you got it. And she went off to seminary and graduated, and they're just doing well. It's a wonderful thing. But this is, uh, I remember this chorus. I don't even know who wrote the song. I remember the song. I just remember this chorus right here, because this is what prayer sometimes is. Give me this, give me that, help me, Lord, I pray. Give me what I think I need to make it through my day. Make me wealthy, keep me healthy, fill in what I missed on my never-ending Shopping list. Prayer. Nope. Nope. All right, so let's uh, let's talk about what are the right reasons to pray. First of all, how about this, to refocus our lives. How many of you feel from time to time that your life is out of whack? Things are getting out of control. Life is getting out of control. How do you refocus that? You understand that prayer is how we do that, part of the way that we do that? When we come to our Father, we spend some time with Him, we refocus our whole life and we understand that our life isn't really built around the turmoil. It isn't. We allow it that way, but that's not how we are created. We are created to build our life around God. When you go back to Him in prayer, You're coming back to the very center and purpose of your life. You are remembering what life is about. How about this? To remind us 
Who's in charge? We have such short memories. You know, we really do. We forget so quickly. And one of the things we forget so quickly is who's really in charge in this world? We think maybe it's the government, or we think it's the forces, or we think it's the politics, or we think it's the economics, or we think it's the, the health, we think it's the sickness. We... How many of you know the hymn, This Is My Father's World? I hope you sing it a lot. There'd be lots and lots of hymns to memorize. This would be a good one. And especially this verse, it's not up there for you, but the third verse goes, This is my Father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus, who died, shall be satisfied, and heaven and earth be one. I come back in prayer, and I remember this is my Father's world. It does not belong to my country or my politicians or my business people. It belongs to my Father. And there's great things in this world and there's evil in this world. And my Father will one day bring it all to the conclusion that He wants it to do. And all I have to do is walk with Him. Because this is my Father's world. And I remember that when I pray. How about this? To quiet our body, mind, and soul. The fast-paced life that many of you are living right now is killing you. Literally. It will kill your relationships. It will kill your health. It will kill your body and you will die sooner. Because you're going, 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 going. I have books on, my, on, on the shelves in my office about stress and adrenaline and our addiction to stress. Yes, many of us are addicted to stress. We know that because when you slow down, you get edgy. Everyone on vacation, you can't even, you're up and you're moving around for three days because you, you just, you're just kind of shaky. You know why? Because you've been addicted to adrenaline. You've been up and up and up and finally you get to come down and you're going through withdrawals. That's what those are. Well, I'm not kidding, Okay. When you slow down and suddenly you get jittery and edgy, and you, got to, you are going through adrenaline withdrawal. And what we know about a high level of adrenaline that drives our life is that it's killing you. Take a break. Pray. Sit with your Father and be quiet. And slow down your mind. Slow down your heart rate. Take a break from life and spend time with your Father. One more reason that we pray. How about this? I don't know if you realize this. Our prayers are pleasing to our Father. Did you know that? We love to give gifts, okay? We like it when we give somebody something that pleases them. And when you give a gift, you want them to be happy about it. You hate it when you give a gift and they go, and they throw it away. You want them to like it. What do you give to God who owns everything? Your money? Well, it's his anyway. 
You can give him your life and heart and he loves But you know what you can also give him? Your time. Your prayers. I'm going to show you something right here. Do you know what incense is, by the way? I'm a child of the 60s, so I know incense well. Okay? Back then, we had head shops everywhere, people buying. I love incense. I actually, you know, maybe I need to use that at home. Because I just love the fragrance. That's the whole point. The smoke billows up and it's fragrant. It's lovely. It makes you relax. It makes you go, wonderful. Okay? Watch this. Book of the Revelation, chapter 8. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne to make the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of the saints went up before God from the angel's hand. And you can see our Father, the prayers of his people like incense going, oh, that's good. Oh, that's good. When my people pray. You want to make his heart glad this afternoon? Spend some time and pray. Imagine it as incense going right up to his nostrils, right up to him, going, yeah, that's good. Now, let's talk about this then. Okay, wrong reasons to pray we've covered. Like I said, there's more of a teaching time today, but there's, there's a point for it. We'll get into what he actually says in what we call the Lord's Prayer in the next two weeks. And you'll see it's all about motive, priorities, just what as I said, okay? But let's talk about this, because many of you and many of us here are just not very good at prayer, are we? In fact, I think the average Protestant pastor prays 12 minutes a day, and the average Protestant prays a lot less than that. We just are not people of prayer. Not like we should be. So I'm going to use some tips. I'm going to teach you how to pray. Real quickly. Ready? We'll run through them because there's, a, there's several of them. I don't want to spend a lot of time, but I want to get these across to you. Particularly for some of you who don't understand prayer, maybe they haven't been people of prayer. Maybe because you've misunderstood how to do it. First of all, ready? Keep it simple. Remember, God is not impressed with a lot of words. One day, I probably should preach a whole series, or at least a couple of sermons, on simple but effective prayers. Prayers do not have to be long and involved. They can be simple, simple prayers. I'm going to show you one right here. Okay? One time, Jesus was walking on the water, and, um, and uh, his disciples were all amazed because Jesus was walking on the water. And, and uh, then Peter, remember what did Peter say when he saw Jesus walking on the water? He said, hey, command me to come out too. And Jesus says come. There's another whole sermon, by the way, one-word commandments. Would you obey a one-word commandment? There are lots and lots of times in God's word where God has one word for his people. Come, go, stop, that kind of thing. If God gave you a one-word command, would you do it? Or do you need a long explanation of how it's all going to work out? Different sermon, but anyway, think about it. Okay. He looks at, and he gives him that one word, come. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, O Lord God, thou creator of all the universe, thou art the wonderful one that I love. This is a great day. Please, in your great mercy, reach out thine hand and lift me up from these winds and waves. For thine be the kingdom and the glory forever. He said, what? That's good prayer, people. 
That is good prayer. Three words. Lord, save me. Man, that's good prayer. So simple. Help me. Love me. Forgive me. Teach me. Save me. Prayer does not have to be extended to be good prayer. Next thing. Do it often. We're going to talk about a special time of prayer that perhaps you you set aside, but, but you can't take 20 and 30 minutes all throughout your day. You just can't do it in today's. But you can pray all the time. If all throughout your day you remember and you understand that God is right there with you and you can speak to him all the time. Thank you, Father. Look at this. Pray for the ambulances that goes by. Pray for the sirens when you hear them. Pray for the people that are, that are, that are walking down the street. I have this vision right now. I'm, I'm just kind of playing with where God wants to go with it. But that, that corner where we have the fountain, I would love to turn that also into a prayer center for the community and for the church. A place where there might be some park benches and a couple of scripture light and maybe a couple of prayer stations. People could come and sit and not only just get lost in God, but it's a great place to pray for the people who are going by. You know how many people go up and down Silverton Road every day? What a wonderful place to sit and to pray for them. You can pray all the time. Do it often. Short, simple prayers. Thank you, Father. Help this person. I love you, Lord. What a beautiful tree that is, Father. Thank you for creating it. It helps you remember that God is not resident in this building. He is as present with you when you're driving down a car in the car as he is right now. He is always there. But that being said, also do this. Please make time for extended conversation. You cannot quiet your body and soul in 30-second prayers. You cannot slow down your heart rate. You cannot escape from the fast-paced world in 30 seconds. You must take some time, whatever time that is. Somebody will say to you, you just need to do it every morning. Only if you're a morning person. If you're not a morning person, it won't work. Maybe you're a night person. Maybe it's the the 30 minutes before you go to bed. Turn off the TV. Get alone in your house. Give him some time throughout your day. An extended period of time where you can escape from the world and be with your father. Which means you have to do this also. You've got to learn to listen. And this is hard for us. This is a skill that takes often years to, and I can't even use the word perfect, but how about the word improve? You cannot hear him if you're babbling. And you cannot hear him amongst the noise of the world. Quite often you have to get alone. And maybe you read scripture. Maybe you just sit there with him. And over time you begin to understand when he's speaking. Something that he's saying to you. Some, something gets going in your mind and you can't get away from it. Now, before you decide whether or not it's God speaking to you, then you need to confirm it. 
which means you get with some godly people and you say, I think this is what God is saying to me. And you let them pray and confirm. But the skill of hearing from God takes practice and confirmation and you can't do it in 30 seconds. Next, don't be afraid of silence. Sometimes this is really how God speaks, right in the middle of nothing. Quietness. Some of us perhaps are talkers, and we always talk. Others of us understand that a relationship can sometimes even be strengthened by being together but not saying anything. You don't have to speak. Do you think your father, remember he already knows what you feel, he knows, he knows you better than you know you, he knows what you're going to say. Maybe there's just value in sitting with him and being quiet. The Quakers used to do this a lot. As a matter of fact, there was the whole service. It was called a Quaker service. No one preached. But they went on for six or seven hours. So, I mean, I'll do it for you if you want. I won't preach as long as you'll give me seven hours of prayer. I think you'd rather have the preaching. But they would sit for six or seven hours. And they would listen. And occasionally someone would stand up who thought they heard from God and would share. And then they'd sit back down. All day. Silence. It has value. You don't know how to pray? Don't know what to say? How about this? Let's start here. Pray the Psalms. If you really just don't know how to pray, pray the Psalms. Go to the Psalms. Every human emotion you're ever going to find, everywhere from great joy to revenge, by the way. There is the emotion of revenge and the desire for causing someone's death in the Psalms. Now, just because it's in the Psalms doesn't mean God approves of it. All right? Keep that in mind. The Psalms are people's prayers. That's why God had them. Imagine that. These prayers are so important that he had them preserved for now, what, uh, 25, 3,000 years. That's how important these prayers are. And in there, if you're happy, you'll find one that makes you happy. Are you depressed? There's ones in there for depression. Are you feeling that God isn't there? Those, are you feeling so angry that you want to hurt somebody? Those prayers are in there there. If you do not know how to pray, begin to pray the Psalms. Read them and pray them. You will learn to pray through the Psalms. Or how about this? Just pray your heart. What do you want to say to God? What are you really feeling and thinking? I don't know how honest you really like to be in your conversations with people. Sometimes honesty is um, not the best policy in our conversations being able to understand when we should and should not speak. We call it tact. And uh, some people are tactless, and we know the damage. Guess what, guys? In prayer, you get to be completely honest. As a matter of fact, you should be. Throw tact out the window. God does not need tact. You cannot hurt his feelings. Tell him what you're thinking. And then be silent and see if he says anything back. You get so angry. I've been so angry. I've yelled at God and I've... And when I'm all done with that, there's this brief silence and I can hear my father saying, are you finished? Yeah, I am. Okay. 
Let's move on. We've said this before, just want to remind you, when your mind wanders, take it to God. You're trying to pray, and you're praying about so-and-so. The next thing you know, you're, about, you're praying about, or you're thinking about mowing your lawn. You know, where did that come from? What do you do with that? Well, if, if you, what you try to do is force out mowing your lawn and go back to this person, okay? It won't work. Just like if I tell you not to think of a pink elephant, of course, what are you going to do? You're going to think of a pink elephant. The more you try to force your mind back, or it isn't going to work. So you know what you do? Take it there. Father, I have no idea why I'm thinking about mowing the lawn, but let's talk about mowing my lawn. Thank you for my lawn. I appreciate that. I could use a new lawnmower if you're, you know, if you're, that'd be wonderful, but I just, wherever your mind goes, go with it. Take him right there. You can pray about all these things. Perhaps even God himself is directing you someplace you didn't think you were going to go in prayer because he wants you to think about something, but he's going to take you down a rabbit trail to get there. Taking there. One final thing then. In prayer, don't give up. Trust Him. Don't give up praying. Don't give up asking. Don't give up seeking. Trust Him. Some prayers are answered right away, every single time. Can you give me the, a prayer that would always be answered every single time? What? Love me. Forgive me. Save me. Forgive my sins. Bam, bam, bam. There's never a time that God's going to say, well, let me think about that, I'll get back to you. A lot of our other prayers, and he's going to work through time. Jesus told a parable. We're going to end with this parable right here. A couple of scriptures I want you to see. And then we're going to have our, our sale of time. Then Jesus told his disciples a par- parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Okay? Now, obviously, people for a long time have been dealing with giving up in prayer. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. There was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, meaning Jesus said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith in the earth real quickly? I want to explain that to you. Whenever you're reading a parable, quite often you ask a couple of questions. Who is God in the parable, and who am I in the parable? In this one, who is God? Good answer. He does not exist in this parable. This parable is not a parable of comparing. It's a parable of contrast. Sometimes Jesus uses parables to compare the kingdom of God is like. Sometimes he'll use a parable of contrast saying God is nothing like this. This is one of those. God is not like the judge. That judge didn't fear God. He was a rotten guy. God is not like that at all. Here's Jesus' point. You know that if somebody of the world, some rotten guy, if you keep pestering him, you know you're going to get justice. Don't you think the God who loves you, who is gracious and good, don't you think you can trust him to do what's right? 
But you never give up and say, I guess God isn't hearing me. God doesn't care. If evil people will give you what is right if you bug them enough, don't you think your Father who loves you will always do what's right? Will you trust him? And then Jesus ends the whole thing by saying, when the Son of Man comes, will he find? In other words, what he said is, can't you trust him? But when I come back, will I find anybody that really believes that? Which is a good place to end. Do you believe it? Do you believe that you can trust God? That he will always do what is right? That if you don't see it right away, you can still trust him and you can still pray and you never give up saying God has forgiven, God has forgotten, God doesn't hear anymore. Of course, can you trust him and continue to pray even if you don't see the answer right away? This is what Paul finally says. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. All the time, he says, pray. And then he says this. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The two go together. Is your heart restless? Maybe we're not spending enough time in prayer. Because Paul just said, if you pray, you petition, you make your requests, you go to him, guess what one of the results is if you trust him? The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. And now we get to pray. We're going to start something a little different today with our Selah time, and it will continue. Some of it is familiar, but we're going to get back to it. For we really carved this time out at the very end of the service to give you an opportunity to hear from the Spirit and to do exactly this, to pray. We have about 10 minutes or so, but we just want you to quiet your heart and mind. It will always begin with communion, and one of the elders of the church will break bread, and we will have people come in two